Do you have a case of the Mondays? Well, now that you are tuned in to this podcast, we're going to reinvent that phrase to make it mean a good thing. That's right. You're listening to From the Top, a book cast, copyright Jake Lewis, 2022, where I, Jake Lewis, read to you the first chapter of a YA or middle grade novel. And I hope that you like it. I hope that you like it so much that you beg your parents to take you to the library or independent bookstore and pick up a copy of it so that you can keep reading it and find out where these crazy adventures go. So that's what we do here on this show. It's great to have you listening. Let's get started. This week, I'll be reading to you the first chapter of a book that won the National Book Award, so you know it's good, and it's called The Penderwicks by Jean Birdsall, and that is spelled B-I-R-D-S, like birds, then A-L-L, Jean Birdsall, not birds some, not birds little, all the birds. Okay, just in case you were curious. And uh, this is a cute little book. It's part of a series. And uh, it's it makes me think of some other books you might be familiar with. I'm, I'm going to see if they come to your mind first. And through the power of podcasting, you will be able to uh, send your waves of thought to me as though we are communicating. Yes. So stay tuned for that. So we are going to read chapter one of The Penderwicks by Jean Birdsall. Not birds a bit, birds all. All right, so chapter one of this lovely little novel is called A Boy at the Window. And without any further ado, here we go. For a long time after that summer, the four Penderwick sisters still talked of Arendelle. That's right. I said Arendelle because you might know that name from The Frozen, but this book was written in 2005, which was long before Frozen came out. So Jean Birdsall, not Birds a Tad, Birdsall came up with that name. Unless, of course, and I can't be sure about this, but Hans Christian Andersen, who wrote the story The Snow Queen, on which Frozen is based, unless Arendelle's in that. I don't think so. But don't quote me on that. Uh, fate drove us there, Jane would say. No, it was the greedy landlord who sold our vacation house on Cape Cod, someone else would pro say. Probably Sky. Who knew which was right? But it was true that the beach house they usually rented had been sold at the last minute and the Penderwicks were suddenly without summer plans. Mr. Penderwick called everywhere, but Cape Cod was booked solid, and his daughters were starting to think they would be spending their whole vacation at home in Cameron, Massachusetts. Not that they didn't love Cameron, but what is summer without a trip to somewhere special? Then, out of the blue, Mr. Penderwick heard through a friend of a friend about a cottage in the Berkshire Mountains. It had plenty of bedrooms, and a big fenced-in pen for a dog, perfect for big, black, clumsy, lovable hound Penderwick. And it was available to be rented for three weeks in August. Mr. Penderwick snatched it up, sight unseen. 
which is always a lovely, smart idea to rent a house that you have not seen before. By the way, Berkshire Mountains, real place. I actually spent a few days there this past August. Isn't that kind of funny? How uh, through no planning, I picked a book to read where not too long ago, I was kind of like in, in their area. However, being from Massachusetts and living here all my life, there is no such place as Cameron, Massachusetts. Okay. And as far as Cape Cod, yeah, there definitely is a Cape Cod big vacation destination in the summer. I do not find it hard to believe at all that uh, he can't find a place to rent unless you like do it a year in advance. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, some, some real places, some not real places uh, kind of gives you a little bit of a fantasy feel there with these places that they're making up. There is an Arendelle, Maine, but that's not what they're talking about. He didn't know what he was getting us into. Batty would say, Rosalind always said, it's too bad mommy never saw Arendelle. She would have loved the gardens. And Jane would say, there are much better gardens in heaven. And mommy will never have to bump into Mrs. Tifton in heaven, Sky added, to make her sisters laugh. And laugh they would. And the talk would move on to other things. Until the next time, someone remembered Arendelle. But all that is in the future. When our story begins, Batty is still only four years old. Rosalind is 12, Sky 11, and Jane 10. They're in their car with Mr. Penderwick and Hound. The family is on the way to Arendelle, and unfortunately, they're lost. It's Batty's fault, said Skye. It is not, said Batty. Of course it is, said Skye. We wouldn't be lost if Hound hadn't eaten the map, and Hound wouldn't have eaten the map if you hadn't hidden your sandwich in it. Maybe it's fate that Hound ate the map. Maybe we'll discover something wonderful while we're lost, said Jane. We'll discover that when I'm in the backseat for too long with my younger sisters, I go insane and murder them, said Skye. Steady troops, said Mr. Penderwick. Rosalind, how about a game? Oh, let's do I went to the zoo and I saw, said Rosalind. I went to the zoo and I saw an anteater. Jane? I went to the zoo and I saw an anteater and a buffalo, said Jane. Batty, and yeah, that's her name, Batty, B-A-T-T-Y, which is uh, kind of a slang for someone who's kind of cuckoo. I have a feeling that's not her real name, though, because if you named your daughter Batty, even as a nickname, that's kind of mean, but I'm hoping that's not her real name. Batty was between Jane and Skye, so it was her turn next. I went to the zoo and I saw an anteater, a buffalo, and a kangaroo. Kangaroo starts with a K, not a C, said Skye. It does not. It starts with a C, like cat, said Batty. Just take your turn, Skye, said Rosalind. There's no point in playing if we don't do it right. Rosalind, who was sitting in the front seat with Mr. Penderwick, turned around and gave Skye her older sister, Glare. It wouldn't do much, Rosalind knew. After all, Skye was only one year younger than she was, but it might quiet her long enough for Rosalind to concentrate on where they were going. They really were badly lost. 
This trip should have taken an hour and a half. And already they'd been on the road for three. Rosalind looked over at her father in the driver's seat. His glasses were slipping down his nose and he was humming his favorite Beethoven symphony, the one about spring. Rosalind knew this meant he was thinking about plants. He was a professor of botany instead of about his driving. Daddy, she said, what do you remember about the map? We're supposed to go past a little town called Framley, then make a few turns and look for number 11 Stafford Street. Didn't we see Framley a while ago? And look, she said, pointing out the window. We've been past those cows before. Good eyes, Rosie, he said. But weren't we going in the other direction last time? Maybe this will do the trick. No, because all we saw along here were more cow fields. Remember? Oh, yes. Mr. Penderwick stopped the car, turned it around, and went back the other way. We need to find someone who can give us directions, said Rosalind. We need to find a helicopter that can airlift us out of here, said Skye, and keep your stupid wings to yourself. She was talking to Batty, who, as always, was wearing her beloved orange and black butterfly wings. They're not stupid, said Batty. Woof, said Hound, from his place among the boxes and suitcases in the very back of the car. He took Batty's side in every discussion. Lost and weary, the brave explorers and their faithful beast argued among themselves. Only Sabrina Start remained calm, said Jane. Sabrina Starr was the heroine of books that Jane wrote. She rescued things. In the first book, it was a cricket. Then came Sabrina Starr rescues a baby sparrow. Sabrina Starr rescues a turtle. And most recently, Sabrina Starr rescues a groundhog. Rosalind knew that Jane was looking for ideas and what Sabrina should rescue next. Skye had suggested a man-eating crocodile who would devour the heroine and put an end to the series. But the rest of the family had shouted her down. They enjoyed Jane's books. There was a loud oomph in the back seat. Rosalind glanced around to make sure violence hadn't broken out, but it was only Batty struggling with her car seat. She was trying to twist herself backward to see Hound. Jane was jotting in her favorite blue notebook. So they were both all right, but Skye was blowing out her cheeks and imitating a fish, which meant she was even more bored than Rosalind had feared. They'd better find this cottage soon. Then Rosalind spotted the truck pulled over by the side of the road. Stop, Daddy. Maybe we can get directions. Mr. Penderwick pulled over. Oh, so it's a man who doesn't mind asking for directions. Lovely. And Rosalind got out of the car. She now saw, well, okay, so he's not going to ask, I guess. She now saw that the truck had tomatoes painted in large letters on each of its doors. Next to the truck was a wooden table piled high with fat red tomatoes. And behind the table, an old man wearing worn blue jeans and a green shirt with Harry's tomatoes embroidered across the pocket. Tomatoes? He asked. Ask if they're magic tomatoes, Rosalind heard. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Skye hauling Jane back in through the car window. My younger sisters, said Rosalind apologetically to the old man. Had six of them myself. Rosalind tried to imagine having six younger sisters, 
but she kept coming up with each of her sisters turned into twins. She shuddered and said, your tomatoes look delicious, but what I really need is directions. We're looking for number 11 Stafford Street. Arendelle? I don't know about any Arendelle. We're supposed to be renting a cottage at that address. That's Arendelle, Mrs. Tifton's place. Beautiful woman. Snooty as all get out, too. Oh, dear. You'll be fine. There are a couple of nice surprises over there. You're going to have to keep that blonde one under control, though, he said, nodding toward the car, where Skye and Jane were now leaning out of the window together, listening. Muffled complaints could be heard from Batty, who was being squashed. Why me? called Skye. The man winked at Rosalind. I can always spot the troublemakers. I was one myself. Now, tell your dad to go down this road a little ways, take the first left, then a quick right, and look for number 11. Thank you, said Rosalind, and turned to go. Hold on a minute. He plopped a half dozen tomatoes into a paper bag. Take these. Oh, I can't, said Rosalind. Sure you can. Tell your dad they're a present from Harry. He handed Rosalind the bag. And one last thing, young lady. You and your sisters better stay clear of Mrs. Tifton's gardens. She's touchy about those gardens. Enjoy the tomatoes. Rosalind got back into the car with her bag of tomatoes. Did you hear him? Straight, then left, then right, then look for number 11, said Mr. Penderwick, starting up the car. What's this Arundelle he was talking about, said Skye. And who's Mrs. Tifton, said Jane. Hound needs to go to the bathroom, said Batty. Soon, honey, said Rosalind. Daddy, here, go left. A few moments later, they were turning onto Stafford Street, and then suddenly, Mr. Penderwick stopped the car in the middle of the road, and everyone stared in amazement. What had the family expected from a rental cottage? A cozy little tumble-down house with a few pots of geraniums in the front yard. Even Harry the Tomato Man's news hadn't changed that. If anyone had thought about it at all, they had figured snooty Mrs. Tifton lived in a cottage next to theirs and grew vegetables in carefully guarded garden plots. That's not what they saw. What they saw were two tall, elegant stone pillars with number 11 carved across one and Arundel across the other. Beyond the pillars was a lane winding off into the distance with double rows of tall poplars on each side. Those are trees. And past the poplars was a beautifully tended lawn dotted with graceful trees. There was no house in sight. Holy bananas, said Skye. Cottages don't have front yards like this, said Rosalind. Daddy, are you sure you remembered the right address? Pretty sure, said Mr. Penderwick. He turned the car and started slowly down the lane, which wandered on and on until the Penderwicks thought they would never reach the end. But finally, there was one last curve. The poplar trees ended and Rosalind's fears were realized. Daddy, that's not a cottage. No, I agree. That's a mansion. And so it was, a huge mansion crouching in the middle of a formal garden. Built from gray stone, it was covered with towers, balconies, terraces, and turrets that jutted every which way. And the gardens, 
There were fountains and flowering hedges and marble statues. And that was just in the part the Penderwicks could see from the lane. The exhausted travelers saw before them a dwelling fit for kings. Care, Paravel, El Dorado, Camelot, said Jane. Too bad we're not kings, said Skye. We're still lost, said Rosalind, discouraged. Buck up, Rosie, said Mr. Penderwick. Here comes someone we can ask. A tall teenage boy pushing a wheelbarrow had appeared from behind a large statue of Cupid and Venus. Mr. Penderwick rolled down his car window, but before he could call out to the boy, a familiar gagging noise came from the very back of the car. Hound's going to barf, shrieked Batty. The sisters knew the drill. In a flash, they flew out and around to the back of the car and dragged poor Hound over to the side of the lane. He threw up on Jane's sneakers. Oh, Hound, how could you? moaned Jane, looking down at her yellow high tops. But Hound had already wandered off to inspect a bush. Yeah, he doesn't have to clean it up. This isn't as bad as the time he ate pizza out of the garbage can, said Skye. Batty crouched down to inspect the mess. <laughs> There's the map, she said, pointing. Don't touch it, Rosalind exclaimed. And Jane, stop shaking your sneakers. You're splashing it all around. Stand still, everyone, until I get back. She ran over to the car for paper towels. The teenager with the wheelbarrow had come over to the driveway, and Mr. Penderwick had gotten out of the car and was talking to him. I see there's some Linnea Borealis here along the drive. Odd place for it. But I'm particularly interested in the Cypripedian Arietium, if you know of any good places to hunt for it. And that's probably not at all what the word is, but that's the best I can do reading Latin. It likes swampy land, some shade. Rosalind ducked her head into the back of the car and rooted around among the baggage. Her father was talking in Latin about plants, which meant he was happy. She hoped he remembered to ask the boy about directions, too. He looked nice. The boy, 18 or maybe 19 years old, with light brown hair sticking out from under a Red Sox baseball cap. Rosalind peered around the car and sneaked a look at the boy's hands. Her best friend, Anna, always said that you could tell a lot about people from their hands. The boy was wearing gardening gloves. The paper towels were behind Mr. Penderwick's computer and under a soccer ball. All right, so hold on a second. At the very beginning of this, when they got lost, I was thinking to myself, why don't they just get a GPS, get their phone out and, uh, you know, and, and get back on the right track? but they didn't. And so I was thinking, okay, this maybe feels a little bit old fashioned. So maybe this is set uh, a long time ago. Um, you know, not too long ago, because there are cars, obviously, but long enough. And But now we find out that it is mostly modern day because there's a computer uh, in the back seat. So why are they lost? Are they these crazy people who don't use cell phones? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish a book if these people don't believe in cell phones. But I will persist and go on. Here we go. The paper towels were behind Mr. Penderwick's computer and under a soccer ball. Rosalind grabbed the bunch and rushed back to her sisters. Jane and Skye were piling leaves on top of Hound's barf. Remember when he ate that lemon cream pie off the Geiger's picnic table? He really puked that time, 
said Sky. What about when he stole a whole meatloaf out of the refrigerator? He was sick for two days, said Jane. Shh, said Rosalind, wiping Jane's sneakers clean. Why is Rosalind wiping the kids' sneakers? Wipe your own sneakers. Mr. Penderwick and the boy were walking over. Girls, this is Cagney, said Mr. Penderwick. Hi, said Cagney with a big smile. Cagney, like James Cagney, the famous actor who was always playing like a gangster in the 1930s. Okay. Cool parents. Rosalind looked hard at his hands, but they were just regular old hands to her. She wished Anna were there. Cagney, these four are my pride and joy. That one with blonde hair is my second daughter, Skye. Blue sky, blue eyes, said Skye, opening wide her blue eyes to demonstrate. Seems like she might be flirting a little bit. That's how you can remember which one she is. Blue eyes and straight blonde hair. The rest of us, you have to... That The rest of us... I just had a brain fart. Sorry about that. The rest of us have identical brown eyes and dark curly hair, said Jane. People get me and Rosalind mixed up all the time. They do not. I'm much taller than you are, said Rosalind, painfully aware that not only was she holding vomity paper towels, she was wearing her shirt with Wildwood Elementary School across the front. Why had she worn it? She didn't want people to think she was still in elementary school. She was going to start seventh grade in September. Yes, well, the tall one is Rosalind, my oldest. The short one is Jane. And Mr. Penderwick looked around him. Over there, said Jane, pointing to the orange and black wings sticking out from behind a tree. And that's Batty, the shy one. Now, troops, good news. This is the right place after all. Cagney's the gardener here at Arundel Hall. That's what this mansion is called. And he's been expecting us. Our cottage is at the back of the estate grounds. It used to be the guest cottage for the main house, said Cagney. Back in the days when General and Mrs. Framley were alive, it's quieter here now with Mrs. Tifton in charge. Mrs. Tifton, exclaimed Jane, and would have said more if Rosalind had not dug an elbow into her ribs. Okay, girls, let's be off, said Mr. Penderwick. And Cagney, let's have that talk about the native flora sometime soon. Yeah, I'd like that, said Cagney. Now, to get to the cottage, take the driveway up there on the left and follow it past the carriage house and into the formal gardens. You'll see the sunken garden to your left and the Greek pavilion to the right, and then you'll drive through the boundary hedge. The cottage is a few hundred more yards along. It's yellow. You can't miss it. And the key is under the mat. Rosalind rounded up Batty. Sky fetched town, and soon everyone was in the car ready to go, except for Jane. She was standing in the driveway, staring up at Arundel Hall. Rosalind leaned out the window. Jane, come on. Jane reluctantly turned away from the mansion. I thought I saw a boy in the window up there. He was looking down at us. Skye leaned across Batty, flattening her, and looked out Jane's window. Where? Up there, said Jane, pointing. Top row, on the right. No one's there, said Skye. Get off me, said Batty. Skye settled back into her own seat. You imagined him, Jane. Maybe? I don't think so. 
said Jane. But whether I did or not, he's given me a good idea. We come now to the part of the program I call 321, where I tell you three things that I liked or thought about after or while reading this chapter, two questions that I have, and one thing I learned. Let's get right into the three things about the book that I liked so far. Well, of course, I like the humor, uh, that that scene with uh, the barf and, hey, there's the map in the dog's barf. Not quite sure why that's included. An author usually puts something into a book for a reason, more than just trying to make somebody laugh. Uh, so maybe that will come up later on in the story, that this dog gets an upset stomach, and, and for whatever reason, that might be important later on. But if it's just to make us laugh, mission accomplished, Gene Birdsall. Not birds a wee bit. Bird's all. Uh, so I like that about it. I love a book that is sort of set where I am familiar with it. So like I said earlier, Cameron, Massachusetts, where this family's from, not a real place, but the Berkshires and Cape Cod are. And so even if, you know, I don't frequent the Berkshires or Cape Cod, it's just kind of say like, oh, cool. I've been there. I, I kind of have an idea about what they're talking about. Um so that connects me to the book a little bit, too. And the third thing that I, I sort of like about this, and it happens really, really quickly, is that their mother, the girls' mother, has died. I don't know if you picked that up, but at the very beginning of it, when they are talking about uh, Mrs. Tifton's garden, and Jane says that there are much better gardens in heaven and that mommy will never have to bump into Mrs. Tifton in heaven. That's just a real quick way to acknowledge that their mother has died. It's very sad, but they uh, do it so quickly, you almost miss it. But the good part about that is, you know, you don't need a whole big section that's really sad about their mother dying. That might come later on in the story. I don't know. I haven't read this yet. This is my first time through it too. But uh, just how they kind of quickly address that very sad issue, because I don't think they want to make the reader sad. I don't think Jane Birdsall wants to make the reader sad, because there's a lot of funny parts in this beginning section, like I told you about. So that is my theory, and I'm sticking to it. And now it's time for two questions I have after reading this first chapter. The first one is, did she really see a boy in that upstairs window? Uh, so is there a boy living with Mrs. Tifton or is she seeing a ghost? And before I started reading, I told you that this book sort of reminds me of another one. And that book is The Secret Garden, where there are other uh, sightings, shall we say, of uh, characters who may or may not uh, still be amongst the living. So that is that is one thing uh, that I'm curious about. Who is this boy, if indeed there is one? And uh, a second question I have comes at the very end of the chapter here, 
where they are about to uh, drive up the road to the cottage that they have apparently rented. And Jane, after uh, saying that she doesn't think that the boy is a hallucination, says, but whether he did or not, he's given me a good idea. And so I'm wondering, what is that idea? What has seeing this phantasm, perhaps, in the, the window upstairs made Jane think of doing? So those are two questions that I have, and I'm sure that they will get answered before much longer. And for the one thing that I've learned, I already knew this as an adult, but I'm going to now pretend that I am in the mindset of uh, perhaps an elementary school boy, since I am one. Well, a boy, that is. A, a man. I'm not a... I'm not, you know what I'm saying. Uh, I'm going to imagine that I am uh, a listener of this show uh, for the middle grade YA crowd um, who is a boy. And I'm, I'm, this is going to sound a little bit eh at first, but just bear with me. So if I had picked up this book as a young boy and I had read that it's about four Penderwick sisters and, you know, they're... Oh, and on the cover, it says, by the way, the version that I have... A summer tale of four sisters, two rabbits, and a very interesting boy. All right, so we got the part about an interesting boy in there. But I think it's safe to assume that most young male readers would see that it says a summer tale of four sisters and two rabbits. Maybe you like rabbits. But at the four sisters, they would have been, okay, moving on. Because, you know, let's be honest, boys want to read sometimes about boys. So I have learned after that lengthy uh, digression that you shouldn't judge a book just by its main characters, perhaps being uh, uh, of, a, of a group that you wouldn't normally be interested in because uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this first chapter. And there's several boys in it. There's uh, Mr. Penderwick, who is really funny. I like how he calls everybody troops, right? It seems like he's almost British. The name Penderwick feels British. In fact, I wonder if the author is British. Uh, let's take a look here. Oh, no, she's from uh, she's from Northampton, Massachusetts, which is also a real place. Uh, but OK. And there's that guy Cagney, which is a strange name, if you ask me. But strange can be good. And whoever this fellow in the window is. So don't just sit pass on a book because you might find some characters in it that you can relate to. I think that's really what I'm trying to get to. It's hard as a young boy to relate to a book where it's mostly girl characters. But uh, I think after hearing this, you might say, oh, I'm, I'm glad I gave it a shot. And so the book is called The Penderwicks by Jean Birdsall. Not birds none, birds all. And there are, at least at the time of uh, the book publication that I'm holding, four others in the series. So uh, I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you have any questions, comments, or requests, you can send me an email at fromthetopbookcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast to be sure 
to know when the latest episode becomes available. And if you're on there and write up a five-star review, it doesn't have to be a very long one, uh, that would greatly help this show. And I thank you in advance for your patronage. Be sure to tune in again next Monday for another first chapter of another YA middle grade book. My name is Jake Lewis, and I'll see you again from the top.